0: Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter,
1: Pastor Warren Strawbridge. There's been many revivals over the last three or four hundred years and churches but not since 1904 has there been a great revival does anyone know what country that actually happened in yeah somebody said it I think Colin as he walked out the door Wales yeah and I want to tell you a little bit about that at the end I want to talk about two men, Reese Howell and Evan Roberts, um, and how they changed Wales. But as we think about God and his people, God has always been calling his people back to himself. You know, we read in the Bible where God would call his people back to him. They would come back to him and they they would fall away. Then they would cry out again and God would rescue them. And we think throughout the book of Judges, it's full of it. From Othniel to Ehu to Shamgar, Deborah, Gideon, Tola, Jair, Jephthah. Ibzan, Elon, and Samson. That's how many judges were in the book of Judges. Each one represented a period where people had fallen away from God. They'd forgotten about him. Things of this world had become important to them. And they had forgotten about God. But finally God allowed an oppressor to come in. And these people were oppressed. And as they were oppressed, they cried out to God. And you know, we see that in the world that we live in today. We see we may not leave the church, we may not leave God, but our experience sometimes goes up and then goes down. And so we have all experienced times where we have backslidden but God has a plan for each one of our lives you know in the first two books of the Bible Genesis 1 and 2 we see God's perfect plan for mankind and for this earth then in chapter 3 we see the fall of mankind And then for the rest of the Bible, the 1,186 chapters, we see God's plan to bring His people back to Him, which finally finishes in Revelation 22. Eden restored is what God wants for us, for mankind. And the central theme of the Bible is Christ's atoning work here on this earth and also in heaven. And while there's been many revivals, there's going to be one last final true revival. Ellen White says that it is the greatest need of this church of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, our greatest need is of revival, true revival. And how does that revival come? It comes by seeking the Holy Spirit, seeking and lifting up Christ. That's what will bring revival. When the Holy Spirit comes... Repentance comes, but before the Holy Spirit comes, not only must we seek the Holy Spirit, but there must be lots of prayer. And one of the things that I have tried to do as a pastor, as a Christian, is to encourage and lead by example People praying as individuals, but also praying collectively. It's so important, for nothing happens without prayer. And so today that's a subject that I want to look at, revival. And so I just invite you to to bow your heads as I pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and to worship, to fellowship. Father, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, and the work that he has done in this world and is now doing in the heavenly sanctuary. But today, Lord, we want, Father, we want to focus on the Holy Spirit and the work that he is wanting to do in our lives, wanting to do in this world. Father, help us to seek the Holy Spirit like we have never sought him before. I pray that you would speak through me today. May the words that I speak not be my words, for there is no power, there is nothing in me except what you place in me. Father, you want to see a revival. You want to see us being drawn closer to you. And so I pray that you would use me today. Open our hearts and our minds as we come near you, for we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said before, for the last 6,000 years, we have seen. God's people catch fire, then grow cold. Catch fire and grow cold. And through the Christian dispensation, through the last 2,000 years, we have seen that. We have seen revivals spring up in places like Wales, in places like Africa, in places like Europe, in England, in Scotland. Only to die out. It's human nature to catch fire but then to stop doing what keeps the fire burning. What is it that keeps a fire burning? A fire has to be fed. I guess we all know something about having fires at home. We either have one at home or we've been somewhere where there's been a fire. You know, if you don't put wood on the fire, it's going to go out. And that's what happens with revivals. But this last true revival that God wants to bring to this world. So that people can see what he is like. So that they can see that he is a God of love. That he's a forgiving, loving, caring God. And that he loves Not only us in the church, but those in the community that have no idea about him. The only time they talk about Jesus is a swear word. You know, the Bible is full of it. From Seth to Noah, from Abraham to Moses, from David to Jeroboam, from Hezekiah to Manasseh, from Josiah to Zedekiah. From the church of Ephesus to the church of Thyatira. And from the greatest church, the church of Philadelphia, to the church of Laodicea, which is this church, which is us, friends. What is the condition of Laodicea? Lukewarm. But what does being a lukewarm Christian look like? How does the Bible describe it? In fact, the Bible in the New Testament describes three types of people. Let's have a look at them. This is the first. This is what the Bible calls the natural man. The natural person. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So that's no one here in this morning in the church. None of us are natural men, or we wouldn't be here. But there's two types of people that the Bible goes on to describe. This one here, in Romans 8, 6 and 7, says, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is and, and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. Talking about the carnal man. In Greek... The word carnal means non-spiritual. That's what it means. So we have on one hand, we have the spiritual man, and on the other hand, we have the carnal man. And today, you are either one or the other. The fact that you chose to come to church today means you're not a natural man. You believe in God. You've come here not only to be blessed, but you've come here for a purpose. The third one is in Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. I've used this particular verse. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. So it's very obvious we're either carnal or we're spiritual. Next time I come to and I'm planning to talk to you um, a sermon entitled Examine Yourself. Because Paul says that we should examine ourselves. Am I spiritual or am I carnal? Or am I spiritual or am I non-spiritual? And that is such a big question. And it's only do I have the holy spirit dwelling in me really that what decides whether we're spiritual or not you know when we think about the the parable of the virgins the 10 virgins 5 were wise and 5 were foolish So when Jesus gave that parable, he was saying at least half the church are going to be wise and half are going to be foolish. Half are going to be spiritual and the other half are going to be carnal. Friends, I, I, people I know, I don't want anyone to be carnal. I want us all to be spiritual. And it's the job of, of leaders to help each one of you become spiritual. And that's why today I'm challenging you not only about revival, but about being filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, biblical things are spiritually discerned. You know, I preached in churches. Where people have been offended by what I said. Or people have thought that I'm talking in riddles. What did that guy actually talk about? It really didn't make any sense to me. If, if people are offended, or if people don't understand what I'm talking about, and I praise the Lord, that the, not so much in this church, but some churches that I preached in, people say I preach too long or they're offended by something that I said that just shows that just should show yourself that you're carnal 1 Corinthians 3 1-3 says and I brethren could not speak to you as spiritual people but as to carnal As to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you're still carnal. Paul says to the church of Corinth, I've left you and I expected you to grow and to mature, but you haven't. You're still babes. You're still carnal. You're not growing. You're not filled with the Spirit. As I said, to understand spiritual things, you must have the Holy Spirit in you. Because you see, it's not about how wise you are, or how wise I am. It's about having the Spirit and being able to understand spiritual matters. You know, as Seventh-day Adventists, we have a lot of knowledge and we need to understand that there's a difference between knowledge and spirituality. There's a difference between knowing things and having a relationship. The Pharisees had knowledge in the Bible. But they didn't even recognize the Son of God. And yet they had knowledge. When the three wise men came to see them, they said, yeah, Bethlehem is where he's going to be born. But they didn't go. You know, I was reading uh, John chapter 8 in my devotional time Jesus is speaking to the people and they couldn't understand him they couldn't understand him because they didn't have a Holy Spirit they only had knowledge so why are people not filled with the Spirit? Why are some church members carnal? Probably the the most simple um, way is to think of the story of the ten virgins. You know, that's a really sad thing. 50% didn't make it. Is it possible to know all this and miss eternal life? Is it possible to come to church every week? Is it possible to pay my tithes? Is it possible to do everything but the Ten Commandments tells me to do, and miss eternal life, wouldn't that be such a waste? It would be madness. But in the story of the Ten Virgins, what is lacking? What is it that the foolish do not have, that the wise have? It's the Holy Spirit. The wise have the oil. They both have lamps. They both have the Bible. And even the foolish have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. But they don't have enough. And the other thing is that in the story at the end, as they knocked on the door, what did Jesus say to them? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. No relationship. They don't have the Holy Spirit, they don't have a relationship. I'm not saying that knowledge is not important, friends, but what I'm saying is that knowledge will not save you. Being filled with the Spirit of God is what saves you. Having a relationship with Jesus Christ—that's what saves us. You know, one of the things that um, (coughs) having the Holy Spirit in our life does is that it brings us to a point of surrender. When I came back to the Lord in two thousand and six, and I started to—I was even preaching about it, and yet I didn't know much about it, but I felt impressed to talk about the subject of surrender i couldn't find people that could tell me what surrender actually was in the church finally i found a retired minister he was able to tell me and explain to me what true surrender actually was and i read books Morris Vendon, some of you might know him. He said in his uh, book 95 Thesis on Righteousness by Faith, there is no such thing as partial surrender. It's no more possible to be partially surrendered than it is possible to be a little pregnant. Either you are or you aren't. There's no middle ground. Either you were surrendered and you were filled with the Spirit or you were not. I found another man, and I didn't bring all of his books. I, I did this to a sermon recently. I've got a big stack of books that I bought from Christian bookshops. Uh, his name is, The guy's name was Andrew Murray, a South African um, Christian who lived a number of years ago, who wrote a lot about surrender. He wrote books entitled, Abiding in Him, The Branch and the Vine, Absolute Surrender. And I read these books to try and find out, what is this surrender business about? But it's like the story about the rich young ruler. He knew there was something missing in his life. He just didn't know what it was. He comes to Jesus. Apparently he had kept all the law. He hadn't done all these things that Jesus had said about the law. But he knew there was still something missing in his life Jesus pointed to it and he went away sad well, his was riches and money but ours could be anything I have no idea what our problem is what your problem is as far as surrender is concerned but all of us you know most of us are happy to give up 90, 95 percent, but we all want to keep that little, little bit for ourselves. You know, it would be like in a marriage, if the husband comes to his wife and says, well look, um, you know, I love you, but I'd just like to sleep with another lady, just, just for one night a year, one night a year. I don't think there would be a wife that would think that would be all right. But when it comes to surrender, we think 99 percent is okay. I don't know. I, I, sometimes, I mean, computers, you love them or hate them. Um, you're trying to download something and it gets to 97, 98, 99. And it's 99 and it keeps going 99 and it won't go to 100. It's not downloaded until it's downloaded 100%. It's the same with surrender, friends. We're, the, we're either surrendered or we're not. The same as what Morris Venden says, You can't be a little pregnant. You're either pregnant or you're not. Let's have a look at um, this quote by Ellen White. Only those who will become co-workers with Christ, only those who will say, Lord, all I have and all I am is thine, will be acknowledged in sons and daughters of God. All I have and all I am is thine. You know, I'm not preaching down to anybody. I am preaching as much to myself as I am preaching to you. I need to hear the sermon as much as you need to hear it. Because 100% surrender is difficult for the human. That's why there's very few people that do this who give God everything. But they are people that turn this world upside down for God. Andrew Murray said, Being filled with the Spirit is simply this, having my whole nature yielded to His power. When the whole soul is yielded to the Holy Spirit, God Himself will fill it. I'm going to read a quote from Ellen White soon that says that we can't even surrender. You might say, well, what the hang am I talking about today? If she says we can't surrender. No, we consent. We say, Lord, I can't surrender, but I give you permission to come into my life and to do that work in me that only you can do. I've been reading a book about revival Um, and I'm not even sure I can pronounce the guy's surname but uh, he's a German and he's written this wonderful book um, and this is just a quote from it uh, Steps to Personal Revival The carnal person wants to follow Jesus and please him but he hasn't surrendered his whole life to Jesus or if he has then he has backslidden somehow that means that he maybe unconsciously wants to live according to God's will and his own wishes simultaneously. So he wants to serve God, but he also wants to serve self. But that doesn't work. Ultimately, he is carrying his own life in his hands. As the saying goes, there are two souls dwelling in his breast. Can God send the Holy Spirit in such case? James 4.3, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss. This person's request is from the carnal heart and asks not for God's glory but for his own ego. Revelation 3 calls this lukewarm and in Matthew 25 it calls it foolish. And that's the problem. Many of us, even, we even pray from the carnal heart. But you see, the carnal heart is always praying for itself. It's all about me. The spiritual is about how I can be a blessing to others. I'm not trying to discourage anybody by what I'm saying because a lot of people don't even pray to be honest these days. So if you're praying that's a good sign. But really spiritual people will be praying not for themselves but for others. A.W. Tozer, many of you may have not heard of this man but I just love this quote. If the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, that's our church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church in the book of Acts, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. You know this church was built for I think we worked it out one day it was 105 people you can comfortably sit in this church and at one stage this church used to be full And in general you know in Shannon there's so many churches where I live that are just closed People have lost sight of their need of God. You know God has really blessed our country but but people think that the blessing just comes I don't know how they think it comes. They probably don't think about that but we are blessed. But as people turn their back on God God has to withdraw his spirit from this country to some regard And that's when Satan comes in and does what he does. As we look at the book of Acts, we see what was happening. And I've just used three verses. Acts 1, 13 to 14 says, And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying, These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Ten days of prayer. Our church in Levin just had ten days of prayer. We were praying for revival. Did revival come? No, it didn't, and it hasn't as yet. Do we want revival? Absolutely, but we need to do what makes revival happen. And I'm going to share with you at the end exactly how all of that happens. Acts 2.38, then Peter said... To them, repent and let everyone be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What comes first? The Holy Spirit or repentance? You could argue both ways. But when the Holy Spirit comes, repentance comes, believe me. I've been studying and reading about the subject in Wales. And when the Holy Spirit fell upon the churches, the people just went to their knees and repented. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, every time we repent of anything, there's always a refreshing that comes afterwards. I remember when I was a kid, I had broken um, the door on the stereo cabinet and I had tried to glue it back together, but it, it was never the same afterwards. For about five or six years, um, I got away with it until one day Dad went to open it and it just broke off in his hand. And he said, how did this happen? And I remember saying... Yeah, I did that five years ago, and I said that I was sorry, and I was. There was a great relief, a great weight was lifted off my shoulders. I no longer had this pressing down on me. And you might think (coughs) that carrying stuff doesn't put pressure on you, it does. Repentance and revival go hand in hand. And as we finish, friends, I, I want to-, to say, no matter where you are spiritually today, you don't have to stay there. If you examine yourself and you're honest and you say, yes, I'm, I'm still carnal, you don't have to stay carnal. You know, I haven't come here to put anybody down. I've only come here to encourage you, to say, friends, we need to be spiritual. But we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. We need to surrender our life. This is this um, quotation from Christ Object Lessons, page 159. No outward observance can take the place of simple faith and entire renunciation of self, but no man can empty himself of self. We can only consent for Christ to accomplish the work. Then the language of the soul will be, Lord, take my heart, for I cannot give it. It is thy property. Keep it pure, for I cannot keep it for thee. Save me in spite of myself, my weak, unchristlike like self. Mold me, fashion me, raise me up into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich current of thy love can flow through my soul. You can't surrender, but you can consent for God to do the work in you. We can invite the Holy Spirit to do that work in us today. I want to finish by telling you a story about the Welsh revival. There were two men who didn't actually know each other that lived in totally different parts of Wales. One's name was Rhys Howell, and the other's name was Evan Roberts. And I think I've put a picture here. This is. Um, I couldn't find a young photo of uh, Reese Howell. That's him there. And this is, they were quite close in age. Uh, This is uh, Evan Roberts. These two men, from a very young age, gave their lives to God. And they felt this burning desire to give their lives, to invite the Holy Spirit into their life. They went to churches that were dead. The people went to church, but they had long faces. There was no joy in the church. There was no love in the church. And they knew that when they looked at the character of Jesus Christ, this was not how the church should be. They knew there was something missing. And so they prayed. Separately, not knowing, having anything to do with each other, they prayed in different parts of Wales for over 10 years for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So don't think when you pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit it's going to happen in one day or one week or one month. It may happen. But these men prayed for over 10 years. I hope that God puts this on your heart to pray for the Holy Spirit's outpouring in this church and in your life. Evan Roberts said, he was praying for the first few years, God change us. God change us. But the Holy Spirit spoke to him one day and said, You need to not pray for us. You need to pray for yourself. And so he changed his prayer from change me. And the word he used was bend me. Bend me in the way that you want to bend me. And when he started praying, God, change me. Things started to happen. You know, and I'm guilty of this. Um, You know, I, I, like even in Levin we want revival. We only had a few people coming. You know, of a church of nearly 100 people. I think one night we had 14, but most of the time we had about eight, nine people coming. Did we see revival? No. And so I'm, in my own heart and mind I'm blaming other people I'm saying why do people not want this but after I study this subject about the life of Evan Roberts I realise that it has to start with me I can't be looking at other people if other people decide they don't want to pray for the Holy Spirit I can't do anything about that but I can do something about me I can do something about what I do. And so I've been convicted to pray that in my life. Lord, change me. Bend me. That I can be so filled with your Spirit that this world will be turned upside down. Not because of me, but because... I've allowed God to do what's needed in my life. You see, when the Holy Spirit comes, there comes power. It's not safe. God can't give people the power if they would just use it for selfish purposes. That's why a person needs to be fully surrendered before the power of the Holy Spirit can come. Or people will use that power for their own selfish purposes. And I wouldn't be any different to anyone else. And so today I pray that you will pray that prayer. God change me. God change me. God bend me. Because you see when the Holy Spirit comes so does conversion not only in our life but with friends, family. If you have family or friends that you want to see walking with the Lord and if the Holy Spirit is in your life in power you won't have to say a word. People will see it in your countenance. They will see the joy and the peace and the love. They will feel that love. And so, really friends, as as I finish today, I just challenge you to pray and ask God to change you, to bend you. I don't know about you people but I've had enough of this world. I want to I want to go home. But there's a big job to be done before we go home. And so today it starts it starts with each one of us saying Lord change me. And that's my prayer for all of you today. Lord, change me. And so I've selected for our final song, Sweet, Sweet Spirit, and encourage you not only to sing the song, but also to pray and invite the Holy Spirit into your lives.
0: message was made available by the Masterton Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit mastertonsda.nz
2: the Gaither vocal band singing Sweet Sweet Spirit. And coming up next, the John Marshall family will sing Fill Me Now.
0: God's Favourite Shepherds, a collection of 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters, with many of the stories ending with a short quiz. Listen now to the author of God's Favourite Shepherds, Bill Ackland.
2: The story I would like to share with you today is entitled Men on a Mission, Gifts from Gentiles. This story is based on Matthew chapter 2. My friends and I are favoured, having been born into the ruling class of our country, a long way to the east of the Great Sea. We had never been that far to the setting of the sun, for there was sufficient interest in our country to hold our attention. Little did we realise what was to happen very soon. We are philosophers, and although idol worship is present in our country, we have thought otherwise. Our special study has been the stars. We have seen that there has been a pattern from year to year in those great lights so far away from us. To be frank, we are fascinated with those heavenly bodies. We have come to believe that all the stars we see above us each night were put there by a mighty one, a being so wise and powerful that he will ever be beyond our knowledge and understanding. Then one night... Each of us in our small group had the same dream. We were told that very soon a star we had never seen before would appear in the night sky. It would be easily recognisable, for it would be much larger than the other stars and perhaps not too far from the world on which we live. More than that, in the dream we were told that we were to be prepared to go on a long journey in the direction of the great sea. The guiding star would lead us to the baby who would be born and destined to be king of the Jews. Of course, we knew the chequered history of the Jews. Anciently, their forefathers had lived a somewhat nomadic life in the land of the Canaanites. During a devastating drought, their extended family had moved to Egypt, where sometime later the ruling pharaoh enslaved them for hundreds of years. Their great leader Moses then came on the scene, and after terrifying plagues sent by their God, the Jews were released, travelling on a 40-year journey through the wilderness to their promised land. I don't have time now to tell you all of their good times and bad, mostly bad, how they found themselves under the control of the Romans. We made a study of the ancient writings of the Jews, for some of their scribes left scrolls in our land when they returned to rebuild the wall and the temple in Jerusalem hundreds of years ago. In these scrolls, we found that a saviour would come who would be a special kind of king. With this background knowledge, and as the result of the dreams, we made ready for the long journey to find this one of whom the prophets wrote. We counted ourselves most fortunate and blessed to be told that a special star would guide us on our journey. Knowing that the baby we would see would be no ordinary human baby, we determined to take very precious gifts to him. We hoped his parents would tell him about us and our visit and how honoured we felt to be able to assist his family in this way. Several months later, we reached Jerusalem. That is where the star guided us and then disappeared once we had reached the gates of this famous city. Now that we were here, how could we find the one we came to worship? We made inquiries of the common people, but they didn't seem to know what we were talking about. Even the religious leaders were indifferent to our visit. We were just about ready to return to our homeland when we received an order from the king, King Herod, to go at once to his palace. When we arrived there, he seemed very interested in what we had to say about a long journey following a new star in the night sky and that a new king of the Jews was to be born about that time. He summoned the priests and the rabbis and inquired of them just where this new king would be born. Initially, they were somewhat indifferent to the king's request, so he urged his questions upon them. They grudgingly said that the king who would be the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem in the province of Judah. So King Herod told us to go to worship the baby as we had planned, but to be sure to return to him, to tell him where this new baby was, so that he could go to worship him too. We headed off the very next night, for the star that we knew so well had appeared again. We did not stop until we got to Bethlehem, not too many miles down the road from Jerusalem. There we were directed to the humble place where this baby king had recently been born. We were all strongly impressed that this was indeed the one we had been told about in the dreams we had several months ago. With great joy and adoration, we all bowed low before him and worshiped him. What an honor that was for us, for none of the religious leaders of the Jews had seen this precious one. Before leaving, we gave the valuable presents of gold, frankincense and myrrh to Joseph and Mary. Somehow we felt that these gifts would be a great help to this humble family. Little did we know what was ahead of this special family. The night before we left Bethlehem, the same angel again appeared to us in a dream. He instructed us not to go to see King Herod, but to return to our country another way. We were fortunate that over the years, many roads had taken different routes from our part of the world over mountains and across deserts and rivers toward the Great Sea and Egypt, so it was easy for us to find our way home without going through Jerusalem again. Since arriving back in our country, we have not stopped talking about the unique experience that has been ours. Here we were, philosophers from another land, chosen to visit the one who would be the King of the Jews and the Saviour of the world. We did not know how all this would happen, but we determined that the love and devotion that we had in our hearts when we met this special baby would always remain. We are anxious to hear word of this one to whom we were guided by an angel star. We are the Magi. And here is a brief quiz for you. How many men set off to follow a special star? Did these men live in Galilee, Judah, or in another country? How did they know something of the history of Israel? Did they go to Bethlehem first, or to another town? What were the gifts they brought for Jesus? Did they report back to King Herod? as he asked them to do.
0: You've been listening to God's Favoured Shepherds, a book with 39 short stories rounding out the lives of mainly lesser-known Bible characters. If you have any comments or questions or to obtain a copy of this book, give us a call within Australia on 02-4973-3456 or send an email to radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you. It's been a pleasure
3: bringing you this program here on 3ABN Australia Radio.